We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for November 23rd, 2008. And today we'll be continuing our study. We started last week on Obama, uh, the possibility of him being the Antichrist. We're going to be going uh, over point by point now some of the things that would actually disqualify that from being the case. Uh, but we're also, this study is going to turn into pretty much just a whole overview and, and um, study on the Antichrist himself, looking at the various attributes. Uh, we're going to be looking at what they call the Merovingian bloodline. Um, there's a concept in the, in the uh, Bible called the Assyrian. We're going to be looking at that later. But uh, again, this is probably going to extend into, I don't know, probably five or six parts at least. Uh, so, picking up where we left off from last week, where we were talking about that the Bible is very explicit as to the requirements for the Antichrist, and that's really what one of the main things that we need to be looking at, is what does the Bible have to say about the biblical requirements. And, and again, we're not going to look at every single one today, but we're going to be looking at some of the main ones. And we, I'm just going to kind of recap where we had left off last week, uh, and where the Antichrist's original emphasis will be to use the Israelis, these types of things. Antichrist must deceive the Jewish people into accepting his claims to be the Jewish Messiah. That's very important, biblically speaking. Therefore, he must be able to prove his lineage back to King David. Uh, if we look at Isaiah 9-7, where it says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order and to establish it with judgment, with justice, from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, this is in regard to Jesus Christ, um, but again, they, the, the uh, religious Jews of, of uh, Jesus' day, and of, unfortunately, today, did not view Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of this. So they're still looking for the fulfillment. They're still looking for the Messiah to come along. So the Antichrist is going to come in, and this is going to be one of the key verses that he's going to have to prove in order to satisfy the Jews, okay, that upon the throne of David. So there's a lineage factor that we're looking at here. And we looked at last week how the, the lineage of Matthew 1 is actually through Joseph, who, who really, if you think about it, had no bloodline connection to Jesus Christ. He did not have an earthly father, Jesus Christ. Okay, Joseph was like his stepfather, stepdad. Whereas his true bloodline lineage was actually through Mary, and that is actually biblical, um, through the uh, biblical exception that we gave you last week, and we did that whole study last week. I don't want to rehash too much of that, but it was a it was an interesting study, and uh, got a lot of good feedback on it. And, and thank you for that. Uh, the The teachings are are just uh, exploding on sermon audio. It's very humbling uh, to, to look up there and see how well they're doing. And I just praise the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for it. Uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of a fear and trembling thing for me when I see it. But uh, so if we go forward, it says uh, God foretold that the true Jewish Messiah would be able to produce a genealogy which runs clearly back to King David. For this reason, Luke exists in our Bible, where it proves Jesus's genealogy back to King David. Okay, and again, that was through Mary, and um, the Jews will actually insist that the newly arisen Masonic Christ produce a lineage which proves his genealogy back to King David. Now, again, what I'm reading from is a 16-page uh, a cutting-edge article up on the internet, uh, cuttingedge.org, 
as kind of our template for today, for this study. But we're going to be kind of veering off into different things uh, as we read through this. So again, this newly risen Antichrist will have to produce a lineage that's, which proves his genealogy back to, back to King David. Actually, what I believe, in order to satisfy the high-level occultists, the Freemasons, it, they're going to have to produce, produce lineage back to Solomon to King David. Okay, For the religious Jews, it is probably, yes, going to be important to go through Solomon. And we're going to prove that a little bit later. But I think, obviously, the main thing is to produce lineage back to David. Okay, Now remember, David had many sons. Okay, Mary, Mary's line, which is really the bloodline that came uh, this, is through Nathan. David's son. Okay, Solomon was another son David had. Most likely the Antichrist is going to arise, or at least the lineage he is going to claim to produce is going to come through Solomon. Okay, so that's, that's a very important thing. We're going to be looking at a much more extensive look at Solomon a little bit later. So, how is a Masonic Christ arising out of a revived Roman Empire of uh, Europe and Great Britain going to produce his lineage back to Solomon to King David. That is where the lie inherent in the Da Vinci Code becomes so very important. Now, I've done several other studies on this whole thing about the Da Vinci Code. And there's been a lot of different movies that the History Channel has released. And um, one of them, I believe, was called Bloodline. Another one was called Lost Tomb of Jesus. You have the Da Vinci Code. You've got all these things questioning, questioning the Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ, basically posing or, or trying to convince us all cleverly that the Bible is just a, a book of lies, okay? And the true wisdom is this Gnostic, occultic religion that has been suppressed from humanity for all these thousands and thousands of years, and now in the end times, in the new age, and with the coming new world order, we're finally going to get the truth. Well, the exact opposite is what's really true. We're going to be getting the lies, Okay, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, just like 2 Timothy 3.13 says, and we're getting lies now. Okay, and this is why we have to be so important and to keep on guard that we're not being deceived, and this was the main warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 24, where he would say, be not deceived, okay, and he would warn about these different things, and people, there's, there's a lot of people today that still think that none of this... This type of information is important. It's okay if we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, it, it's okay. I mean, don't don't mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve our Lord, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. There's so many verses that the average modern day Christian, particularly in America, totally choose to avoid, and and they're never taught typically. From the pulpit. Now, I'm not saying every pulpit. I'm saying for the most part, they're not taught. Okay, and because they haven't been warned, and because these types of verses, which are also very important in the Bible, uh, we're supposed to look at the Bible as you know the whole counsel of God. This type of thing, and it's not being done. They're they're looking and and keen on key verses, typically on God's love or this, or they're just emphasizing salvation, and they're never getting their congregations to strong meat. It's all milk, and they stay on milk for the the their remainder of their church life, wherever they're at in whatever respective churches. And what you've got now in America, in particular, because I'll use that as an example, because I live here, is a bunch of little babies. In the churches, 
uh, never have been weaned off milk, and they have no desire for strong meat, and at this point, the damage is pretty much already done. If you gave them strong meat, it would probably shock them to death. I, I don't know what would happen. Uh, or they'd leave the church in droves because, you know, they've, that's all they've ever had. They've gotten used to it now. And, and, and not only that, then you have the leaven that's in the church that has leavened uh, what, you know, the doctrines and things of this nature. They're not using uh, the correct Bibles, you know, the Bible, the King James Bible. They're using some other modern-day tr- perversion translation with, like the NIV has 64,098 less words. All kinds of things have been removed, taken off. They're part of their 501c3 corporate entity social clubs in there, and they're essentially warming a pew. When this strong delusion that God predicts in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when it hits full circle, and it's already here, but it's going to get worse, these people, for the most part, are going to be without a clue. And the falling away that the Bible predicts in that same chapter in 2 Thessalonians, which is in full swing, is going to accelerate. People aren't going to have a clue. And they're not going to have an answer for what's coming, unfortunately, because they have not been prepared at all. Now, I'm talking, I'm not talking every single person, okay, I'm talking for the most part. And the Bible did predict it was going to happen, and it did predict it was going to be this. So many different places, but again, these are verses that typically are not brought forth in the modern day churches. Uh, we're being told that typically things are going to get better and better and better. We're going to, in fact, the Dominionists believe it's going to be so good, we're just going to usher, usher in the kingdom. Jesus Christ is not going to have any choice but to come back because things are going to be so wonderful. And again, from a biblical standpoint, they really don't have a leg to stand on. So, this whole thing about the Da Vinci Code lie plays into this thing about the lineage of Jesus uh, Christ and the Antichrist. They're trying to cast doubt on Jesus Christ and um, really, ultimately, point us to and usher in the Antichrist through movies like the Da Vinci Code. Uh, so many theorize the Antichrist cannot arise until significant numbers of people throughout the world believe in what they term as the Merovingian bloodline lie. Now this Merovingian bloodline is very, very important for the Da Vinci Code. Okay. Now, again, you have to look at what is Hollywood spending its money on. Okay. Uh, if, if you see the government or Hollywood or some worldly organization spending a lot of money on something to convince the masses of something, you almost can say it's a sure thing that they're, they're spending their money to deceive you in some way, shape, or form. Okay? Hollywood has spent a tremendous amount of money attacking Jesus Christ through things like what we mentioned, Bloodline, Lost Tomb of Jesus, The Da Vinci Code, the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which we'll be talking more about, then the Zeitgeist, and now they've got the Zeitgeist Addendum, which we did another teaching on. So I've done a teaching on the Zeitgeist and the Zeitgeist Addendum. Now, in those things, sometimes, particularly with the Zeitgeist, it's not to say there's no truth in some of the things they're saying about the modern New World Order that's coming, but when they attack Jesus Christ and lump him in with it, and the biggest thing that these shows will always do, they love to do this, is they love to lump true Bible-believing Christians in with Catholics. Because they say, oh, you you hypocritical Christian, how dare you? You slaughtered millions during the Inquisition. No, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with that. Number one, I wasn't here. But number two, Catholics and true Bible-believing born-again Christians are polar opposites. We have nothing to do with them. I don't even call myself a Protestant because Protestants protested, that's why they call them Protestants, 
They came out of the Catholic Church and protested that, and that's why they call them Protestants. Okay? I don't recall myself that. There has always been a separate, distinct line that started at Antioch in the Bible where it says they were first called Christians. Okay? This is also where our, 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 the, the um, underlying text for the King James Bible started in Antioch. Okay? And I've got a chart that, that proves this in a, King, in a King James defense packet that I send out. So um, if you want to know about that, you can access that King James defense packet online as well. You just put in KJV in my search box on my homepage. It'll take you to the sermons where we mention the KJV. And you can click into those. And usually with every teaching I have, I have a PDF file. Click on a little white box and you click on that page. And it'll give you the full text and verbiage of everything. So there's always been a faithful, separate line, a remnant, if you will, which is a biblical term, through Bible-believing born-again Christians that, that have come up all the way, you know, since Jesus was here, okay, started via the apostles and then their converts and these types of things, that had nothing to do with the Roman system, which became the Roman Catholic Church. And, and at that point, then, they started to paganize or Christianize pagan holidays and things of this nature. Around 318, when Constantine, they would term, I guess, as the first pope, whatever, took over. And I've done study, many studies on the Catholic Church okay, that, that you can access there. And again, just key in the word Catholic or just even part of the word in my search box, my homepage, if you want to see any, anything that I've talked about regarding the Catholic Church. So... Uh, there's always been a separate, distinct line. Probably the best book that I know of that explains this is a book by a um, a man, a pastor. His name's Dr. Phil Stringer. Dr. Phil Stringer. And the book is called The Faithful Baptist Witness. Now, to me, this isn't really so much a Baptist issue. okay? Because he talks about a lot of other, uh, I guess, groups that came up before the Baptists were ever even here that were this separate, distinct line that I made reference to. Remember, God always preserves a remnant. Always preserves a remnant that are not going to bow their knee to Baal. Okay? And many times, those are the very same people you know, that, he, that he protects. Sometimes, sometimes they're martyred. You know? it, that's, that's God's doing. Okay? But there's always been a separate, distinct line. I think that book is... He's a, he's a brilliant writer, Dr. Stringer. I, he's a friend of mine. And... Um, did a very, very good job of making that subject easily understandable. And again, even if you wouldn't label yourselves as a Baptist, and I came out of a, I came out of an independent fundamental King James only Baptist church, but I really don't call myself a Baptist anymore so much as I call myself a Bible, born again, Bible believing Christian. Okay, because there's a lot of negative connotations with just about every denomination right now. And I don't really want to be affiliated with a Southern Baptist who have a, uh, a, an organization that's absolutely infiltrated by Freemasons. That's a proven fact. From the deacons on up to the pastors. Now you talk about how can you bow the knee to Baal and to God at the same time. Well, that's what you're tempted to do if you call yourself a born-again, Bible-believing Christian in a Southern Baptist church. And I'm not saying they're not an independent fundamental Baptist or other types. But, you know, all this, all the denominational stuff, you know, I, I think you can get into trouble a lot of times. Um, but anyway, we'll go, we'll go further. So, it's very important from Hollywood, because of this 
this thing where we have the Antichrist rising, for people to buy into this whole Merovingian bloodline line. Now, we're going to segue into another article right now where we're going to look at this Merovingian. Now, we're going to come back to this as well, okay? because it is very important. And again, this study isn't really being done to try to convince you that the Antichrist is this person, okay? It's really not being done for that reason, because, I mean, yes, I've done some studies on uh, Lord Maitreya, who we were affectionately called Devil Maitreya, um, and, you know, the possibility that he's the Antichrist. And you might say, as I'm reading this, well, you know, he couldn't qualify for this. I, let me tell you something. He's going to be able to probably do whatever he says he's, he wants to do. He's probably going to be able to claim whatever he wants to claim, uh, but when you have a person like Barack Obama, he's already locked into things. His his lineage, in other words, is already well known. Okay, whereas somebody that's a nebulous figure like this devil betrayer guy that I've made reference to that I've done probably ten studies on. If you want to know more about him? Just key in M A I T part of his name search box, and it'll load your boat there. Uh, somebody like that, though. He's he's mysterious and nebulous, and we re- really don't know a lot about him. He may come along and have all the proper lineage perfectly set in spot, whereas somebody like Barack Obama really cannot do this because his lineage right now is pretty much a matter of public record. Now, we're going to look at his lineage. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be today, but probably next week. We're going to actually look at and see who he's actually connected to, see how he is, you know, um, how he's connected with with Bush and Cheney, and I'm talking a bloodline connection here. Okay? Now, I'm not talking first cousins. It may be a ninth cousin, but the fact remains is, is this bloodline thing is incredibly important to the occultists. It's incredibly important when you're talking about this Merovingian bloodline stuff. Uh, it's incredibly important to nobility, to the, to the Illuminati, uh, the 13 families that essentially uh, run their world. Okay, Now, I understand the Lord Jesus Christ is in control, but Satan is the prince of this present day world, these types of things, and these are the families that he's set in place. Okay, And um, for them, the bloodline issue is of the utmost importance, and they typically will not breed out of particular bloodlines. And um, this Merovingian thing that we're going to be talking about really plays into this. So this is another article entitled, Strong Supernatural Spirit is Blowing, a Da Vinci Code, popularity throughout the world. The popularity of the one lie which people must believe before any Christ can arise should reveal to all discerning Christians that the, that the prophetic hour draws nigh. The world is speeding toward this particular prophecy. Uh, and uh, one of them that you can look at is Revelation 13.3, that all the world wondered after the beast. See, all the world's going to wonder after the beast. Now, we're going to be looking at these words... Um, Actually, we can probably look at that one right now. Word wonder, okay? Uh, wonder is an emotion which is excited by novelty or the presentation to sight or mind of something new, unusual, strange, great, extraordinary, not well understood. Something that arrests the attention by its novelty, grandeur, or inexplicableness. But wonder sometimes is nearly aligned, allied to astonishment. Now, again, in regard to the Antichrist, it's going to definitely be allied with astonishment. I mean, that's how he's going to deceive. Through lying, signs, and wonders, and miracles. Okay? So that's how it's going to, that's how he's going to deceive the whole world. 
You know, it's, I mean, yes, maybe he's going to be a really great orator. He's going to be able to give a good speech like Barack Obama or whatever. Maybe it'll blow his away. I don't know. He's going to be able to do this or that. He'll be charismatic in this. But the primary way the deception is coming is through miracles, lying, signs, and wonders. Wonders. They're going to wonder at him. This astonishing thing, you know, to a presentation to sight or mind or something new, unusual, or strange. So, again, it's going to be all what's going to be the thing that deceives people is their heart. And that's always the way it's always been. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Okay, so that's what the Bible is clear about. Jeremiah 17, 9. So we know the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs fourteen twelve and Proverbs sixteen twenty five says that. So there is a way which seemeth right, and that's what is coming with the Antichrist. But the end thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof, ultimately, if you follow the Antichrist, is actually the lake of fire. I mean, can you imagine a lake where you're burning for eternity, forever and ever, and it never ends? It's going to make hell, which is a different place, it's going to make hell look like a picnic, probably. I mean, can you imagine having gasoline poured on you, and it being lit on fire for, for eternity? I can't conceive of that. Okay? That should scare you. Okay? If you're not saved. Now, if you're saved, you don't have to... But I'm saying, if you're not, that should scare you. Uh, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Because God's the one that ultimately sets that up. I mean, devil didn't create the lake of fire. God did. To punish the unjust. To punish the ones that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, that's, that's his rule book, not mine. So, if you're mad... You're mad at God, not me, because the Bible's very clear on it. Um, so anyway, if we go further, that the, the definitions I've given you are from the uh, 1828 Noah Webster uh, Dictionary, which more accurately defines the words as written King James Bible. Okay, And so, again, that's it's, it's more of an accurate uh, translation than you're going to get nowadays if you just pick up a Webster's that is finding modern-day usage of these same words. Okay, so now if we go to Daniel 8, verse 23. Daniel 8, verse 23. This is another uh, reference to the Antichrist. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences shall stand up. Now we're going to break this verse down a little bit more later. Okay, Uh, but again, we're just... So this, this king of fierce countenance and of understanding of dark sentences. So stand up. I, I, this is in reference. Dark sentences in the, in the Bible, if you look at the context, which is Proverbs, is a lot of, many times meaning of a proverb. Okay? But I believe in this particular instance, we're going to be dealing with more um, very, 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 very high-level witchcraft. That he is going to understand. He is going to be an adept of magic. Okay? The occult. Version and this is this is the source of the line signs and powers and miracles. Okay, it's going to be witchcraft. And then the Bible says in verse twenty four, and his power shall be mighty. Now again, where is he deriving his power from? Satan, not from God. Then it says, but not by his own power. And again, that confirms it's not his own power. It's the power of Satan, the power of darkness. Okay, and he shall destroy wonderfully. And here we go again with this wonderfully thing. I see this a lot, you know the. All the world wondered after the beast. Um, and then he's going to destroy wonderfully. That's kind of a weird way to, th- to think about that. Um, 
But the word wonderfully in the, in the 1828 uh, Noah Webster is defined as in a manner to excite wonder or surprise. And so it's going to be, he's going to destroy, but it's going to be done in a manner to excite wonder or surprise. It's actually going to probably, going to destroy, but it's going to actually excite people. Okay? So he's going to destroy wonderfully. And then it says he shall prosper and practice. Going to practice? Is he going to practice football? Is he going to practice video games? Going to practice jumping jacks? No. I think what this is in reference to is he's going to practice witchcraft. A witchcraft practitioner. They practice. Okay. And again, he's a king of fierce countenance. He understands he understands dark sentences, uh, most likely in regard to high level uh, witchcraft. He's going to destroy wonderfully. The power we know comes from Satan. Now, if the power comes from Satan, we know it's witchcraft. That's all I've got to know, okay? Because Satan's power is evil. Remember, rebellion is is the sin of witchcraft, and he's going to be pure rebellion. He's going to destroy wonderfully. What is the power he's going to use to destroy wonderfully? Through witchcraft. Now, I've done several teachings on witchcraft. Again, just key in just witch in my uh, box and my uh, homepage on Sermon Audio and We'll give you. We'll, we will break that. All the instances where the Bible talks about in modern day witchcraft, you get a full education on that. Uh, so, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Okay. So, um, and then and then it says in verse twenty five. Now remember, he's not going to destroy everybody. He's not going to kill every single person on the world in the world. So a lot of times people see that and they're, oh, I'm going to die. Well, you know what? If if that's what the Lord has planned for you and you're a martyr, that's the highest honor that you could possibly have. And just remember, if you think you're going to do it in and of yourself and you're going to bow up to the devil, you're fooling yourself. The only way you're going to get through something like martyrdom is by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His shed blood, through humility before God. I'm talking, you know, understanding it's not enough of yourselves. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. These are the types of verses that you need to bear in mind regarding situations like that. Okay, And then it says in verse uh, 25, And through His policy, Okay, so through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Policy, I believe this is in reference, possibly in reference to legislation. And again, you see, you see a lot of the things now with Barack Obama being in office, where we're going to really probably have an absolute total protection of the abortion industry. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have um, hate crime laws most likely being enacted in order to protect the homosexuals, which are totally out of control right now, just because... You know, there were some things that were overturned lately in regarding gay marriage. And, the, you know, they're going up and they're beating up Christians and they're doing this and they're doing that. I say pray Psalm 64 against them. That all men would see and fear and declare the work of God. And if you want to know what that's all about, imprecatory prayers, which are never ever taught in the modern day church, reference my teaching on Psalm 64. If there was ever a place in the Bible God brought me to after I was saved. After I went through the darkest time of my life, it was Psalm 64. Okay. It's not because we're trying to get revenge or get, you know, whatever. But when God doesn't judge wickedness, when, when God just sits back and lets it happen because nobody's praying that God stop it, then 
It's a negative thing. But when God does judge wickedness, it's always, always, always a positive thing. Just look at Ananias and Sapphira. How many people were converted after they were dealt with? Okay. Great fear fell on the camp. God's name was glorified. It's not a negative thing, but we're, we're not taught this in the churches. So, through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Again, craft. We're talking about craft cheese. We're talking about witchcraft. We've already had all these different um, confirmations here that this you know understanding of dark sentences uh, talks about his power is going to be mighty, but it's not going to be his own power. It's the power of Satan. Witchcraft. He's going to destroy wonderfully. How's he going? What's the power for that? Through Satan via witchcraft. Uh, he's going to practice. He's going to practice the occult arts. He's going to be the world's most highest adept master occultist, essentially. Okay, and um, this is the power that he's going to, you know, use to come against the the mighty and the holy people. Going to uh, cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. Okay. Now, Revelation 6.2 says that when he comes, a type of uh, regarding this is that he's going to have a bow with no arrows. Okay. So, he's going to destroy many through peace. Subtlety, craftiness, these types of things. Just like the serpent was in the Garden of Eden. Tactics are no different. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. When Jesus Christ comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, is going to be put in his way. So, anyway, um, the, the word policy, just so you know, uh, this is again from the uh, 1828 Noah Webster, policy and its primary signification comprehending the fundamental constitution or frame of civil government in a state or a kingdom. Uh, but by usage, policy is m now more generally used to denote what is included under legislation and administration it may be defined the art or manner of governing a nation. Okay, so again, this is the. It says through Paul, uh, through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. So through legislation that he's going to lay down in um, civil and state government. Okay, and, and at that point, we're probably going to have the, the new world order. He is actually going to to promote and protect witchcraft which is really the essence of the coming one world religion. A lot of people say, oh no, it's all going to be the Catholic Church. No, it's going to be an amalgamation of probably every, of, of all the wicked tenets of every single religion on the planet right now. And here's another thing to think about. What happened at the Tower of Babel? Okay, well, they had all come together and they were all one and they were building this tower into heaven and God came down and said, you know, we got we got to disperse them, and I'm paraphrasing here, okay? Or if we don't disperse them, they're not going to be, uh, you know, hindered from doing anything they wish. I believe this was the world coming together with information that they had been given, most likely via the fallen angels or devils or demons or whatever you want to say. These people had 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 come together as one, started to build this Tower of Babel. And we're, we're tapping into probably some of the highest echelons of witchcraft that the world had ever known. This is where Nimrod ruled over them. We have Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. God had to split them up at the Tower of Babel. Okay? Founded their languages. They went to different parts of the world. They couldn't understand one another. And I believe each one of them took a piece of their own respective occult religion with them. But none of them had all the pieces anymore. Okay? So therefore, they were, they were limited in what they could do from a witchcraft, occultic standpoint at that point. 
Now, what do we have today? What is the, one of the main themes of this coming New World Order? And I've even seen pictures of where they're, they, like they would portray like, um, you know, the Olympics and things like this where they're trying to rebuild this Tower of Babel, okay? And all the world's coming together. Now, up on the internet, a lot of times there's programs that will translate things for you. So now the language barriers are starting to come down more and more and more and more as the uh, world moves into this new world order, into this global economy, uh, into the ten different kingdoms that are going to be described in Antichrist, but really it's going to be new world order, the, the, the coming one world government, one world political system, one world religious system. All of these religions are going to get on the same page and start amalgamating, and they already are. I mean, the Pope has already invited you know, all the major religions to be on the, essentially the same platform as him. They pray you know, together and, and things of this nature. There's going to be line signs and wonders confirming this. Now, what does that also mean? That means that the respective parts of these different demonic occultic religions are going to come together again. We're going to be coming back to the same knowledge that was possessed at the Tower of Babel, but probably even more so. And so you're going to be you're going to be at a much much higher level, I believe, in the occult arts because now you're going to have all the pieces coming back together again that were originally split up at the Tower of Babel. Now that's that's kind of a theory on my part, but I think if you look at that biblically. It makes sense. It, it, it just, because we know that that's going to happen. So now, if, then we, if we look at the word craft, where we talked about, um, through his policy, he shall, he, he shall also cause craft to prosper in his hand. Uh, craft, cunning art or skill, in a bad sense or applied to bad purposes, artifice, guile, skill or dexterity, employed to the, uh, to effect purposes by deceit. Antichrist causes craft to prosper in Daniel 8.25. Uh, craft in Strong's Concordance is is defined as fraud, deceit, or treachery. Okay, so again, I truly believe this is in regard to fraud, deceit, treachery via witchcraft. I mean, we already have all of this confirmation you know, that that leaning toward witchcraft. And again, what I meant to say before is that the essence of the coming one world government or the one world uh, religious system really is going to be witchcraft. It's just not going to be the Catholic Church. It's just not going to be Hinduism or Buddhism. It is going to be the highest levels of witchcraft within those demonic religious systems, all coming together now. All the missing pieces coming together. The chickens all coming, the demonic chickens all coming home to root as what we're going to be getting. Okay? So again... Um, and don't be surprised to, because of this word wonder being mentioned so much, don't be surprised to see the Antichrist striking a deal with Wonder Bread, because he may want to do that. I mean, I mean, can you imagine the sponsorship uh, possibilities there? I'm sorry, just kidding. A little teasing there. Okay, so just to reiterate this a little bit too, that he shall also understand dark sentences in Daniel 8.23. Interestingly enough, Strong's Concordance word for dark and sentences is the same word, which is interesting. Uh, it's word number... Uh, 2420, they mean a puzzle, hence a trick. Uh, the expression comes from the root word of number 2330, which means to put forth. This must mean that eventually the Antichrist will purposely put forth language designed to trick or deceive the hearer. Okay, and we know he's the father of lies, and I mean, you're of your father of the devil, and of his works you will do. Okay, when, when Jesus talked about that, well, He's definitely of his father, the devil, and of his works he's going to do. So, 
essentially everything that's going to come out of this guy's mouth is going to be a lie in some way, shape, or form, okay? Or, or at least getting you to where you believe in a lie, okay? Even if he's speaking truth at one point, it's still all to lead you ultimately to hell. So, the Antichrist during his rise understands dark sentences. Therefore, he must understand them when, other, when used by others, and he's also going to understand them when others don't understand them. In other words, he's going to be a very, very incredibly high adept occult magician type of type of thing here. So, um, therefore, he must understand dark, senten- dark sentences when used by others. But who are the others? Daniel 8.23 tells us that when the transgressors are come to the full, notice that there is more than one transgressor, transgressors comes to a full, these transgressors apparently use dark sentences when Antichrist um, comes to power and, and he will understand them. So it's just it's kind of some interesting parallels. Now the Bible says in Psalm 12 verse 8, it says that the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Okay, So that's an interesting statement. So when you have somebody that's wicked in power, like, let's say, a good example, Clinton, or even Bush, okay? Uh, and I know that might offend some Republicans out there, but sorry. Uh, essentially, when you, when you exalt a vile man, okay, that the, it's, the Bible's very clear that the wicked are going to walk on every side. I mean, I'm to the point in America where it's like, I, I really, <laughs> do you like, it's like that Bible verse that talks about where, where it said that, uh, Righteous Lot vexed his soul from day to day with the filthy conversation of the wicked when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? It's kind of how I feel personally. I mean, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Perfect or whatever, but um, isn't that kind of the way you start to feel? You know, just like you're just so wanting to, to, to not deal with the, all the wickedness and, and everything that's present in this world that we're dealing with on, on an almost daily basis at this point, well, I had got back a little bit of bad news because it's not going to get any better because the wicked are going to walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. And that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So you got uh, women like Oprah, and you got these pseudo-Christian uh, Pastors or whatever, like Schuler and, and Osteen and these types of people. And you got them up there and you have people exalt them, highly exalting them, when they are an abomination in the sight of God, when they have totally turned their back on the Lord, when they're not pointing people to righteousness or truth. Some lukewarm gospel at best. Uh, the wicked are going to walk on every side. And uh, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and these types of things. The Bible is very clear. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So, this is one of the reasons why we want to stay educated in regard to this. Now, if we go now to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, we've already kind of quoted this a little bit, but 2 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 9. Thessalonians 2, verse 9. And again, this is just a little more confirmation. Uh, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, this is in regard to the Antichrist, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, there's where it talks about that, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. So, the lying signs and wonders and powers that Satan is going to use, that the Antichrist is going to use, um, is going to be used in the strong delusion that God is sending. 
Because it says in verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. Now, if you're your typical pew warmer, Smiley Joe's church, Osteen's church, or Benny Hinn or whatever, and you're believing all the, the, the feel-good gospel and everything's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder, pardon my French, and, you know, these types of things and, and nothing bad's going to happen and we're just going to, we're not going to have to suffer nothing and, and everything's going to be great. Well, if you are believing the lie that is being told you and you are not receiving the love of the truth, okay, you're in a very dangerous position. Because the Bible says here, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. It had to do with their salvation. Now, I'm not saying that just because you're in Smiley Joe's church or one of these apostate churches that, you know, you can't be saved. But there's a lot less likelihood you're going to be. Because if you're in there under that person's teaching, the Bible says, of whom a man is overcome, same he is brought into bondage. If you voluntarily go into a 501c3 corporate institution, plant yourself there, and sit under that preacher's teaching, and he's feeding you a bunch of lukewarm garbage... Okay. you're not walking in truth. I'm sorry, but you're not. Okay, So again, I'm not saying it's not possible to be saved to be in one of those. But it sure doesn't look to me when reading this verse like that's a place where you want to be. Now, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the fact remains is that narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Broad is the road which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. And we're not supposed to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man that love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay. Now, in most churches, that's what you're going to get, is the world. You're going to get a, a um, worldly presentation of the gospel, you're going to get a lot of the world with their music programs and things of this nature most of the time. You're not being prepared or equipped for hardly anything. So, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now, ultimately, you know, for you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this isn't about works, Salvation, so don't get me wrong, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 9. Okay, so again, I don't want to blur the gospel here, but I'm, I'm saying that if you're de deceived and demonically deluded mentally, how are you going to get saved? That's, that's the point we're trying to make here, okay? So, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this God, cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Well, I, I've never seen so much strong delusion. Sending it, God. That they should believe a lie. It's almost like, you know, God only gives you so many chances to get saved. He, he doesn't, the, the spirit of God will not always strive with man forever, as it talks about in Genesis. So, God doesn't just give you infinite amounts of chances to get saved. And there's going to come a time where the Holy Spirit withdraws himself and it's impossible for you to get saved anymore. I've heard of, of many accounts of people that said, well, I'm going to get saved, but I, I'm going to wait for this or I'm, going to wait, or I'm going to wait for my deathbed or whatever. And let's say, best case scenario, that their deathbed comes around and they're coherent in these types of things. And the preacher comes to them. Now, this happened a lot in older times because now they'll drug you up so much at like someplace like Hope Hospice or whatever, that you don't even know what's going on. Okay? But basically what will end up happening in the older times is they didn't have all these drugs to medicate you. And these people, the preacher would come to them at the end and, and they would want to get saved, but they couldn't 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit was not there anymore to draw them. The Holy Spirit has to do it. Okay? It wasn't there anymore. They had their chances. It was done. And the only thing they had to look forward to was hell. There wasn't anything to look forward to. So, for this God cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. At this point, they've gone so far, they've gone so far over the line that God wants them to believe the lie. Why? Because there's no hope for them. They're not going to get saved. No matter what they do, they've crossed the line. Okay? Where are, where are instances in the Bible where you can see God crossing the line with God? Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, Jeremiah 14, to name of places, where God finally gets to a point with certain people uh, and in this point, it was the um, apostate Jews of, of that particular uh, era. And I'm not saying every single one, but a, a large majority of them, uh, where he basically says, don't pray for these people anymore. I will not hear your prayer. I will not hear your prayer. I don't care what, because he'd already given them probably a thousand chances. <laughs> and it didn't matter. It didn't matter how many chances they gave them because ultimately they were not going to be converted. Now, the Lord knows the beginning from the end. He knows who's going to get saved and who's not going to be saved. So, again, that's his doing. That, that may not seem fair to a lot of people, but ultimately he still gives us all a free will choice. So, this God cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so that implies just not... They believe not the truth, but then it goes on to make another statement, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, they believed not the truth, and they had actual pleasure in unrighteousness. So again, just think of your modern day apostate lukewarm church, where people are actually taking pleasure in things that are lies. They're getting. It's, it's, a, it's a scary um, scary situation that you run into. So if we go further, and again, this is... We're looking now more at the Da Vinci Code. These were just some Bible verses kind of leading into that. And it says, The Antichrist is going to be one very popular fellow when he arises with lying signs and wonders, which he intends to deceive all the peoples of the world. The Bible says great majority of people will rush after him in adoration and love. Look at how they're treating Obama. Adoration and love? Absolutely. I mean, people just with bawling their eyes out, thinking that this is all their problems are going to be over, and, and just... You know, this rush of, of emotion of people, not only in America, but around the world. You talk about strong delusion. People, somebody having pleasure and unrighteousness. And then people that would speak, dare speak against Obama. I, I, I got an email from a lady uh, this week. And, and granted, I don't have, my, the majority of the feedback that I get is, the vast, vast majority is positive, okay? But this lady was basically accusing me of, you know, how dare I go against Obama? He's a godly man, and, and he's going to be the president whether I like it or not. Now, this was on Sermon Audio. This was supposedly a, a Christian emailing me. And then, then she started indicting me for not doing a teaching on Washington. He was a Freemason, George Washington, that he was a Freemason. He was, and then Jefferson had slave owners and uh, slaves, and Washington had slaves. And, and, I, and I, uh, I tried to email her back, but she gave me a bogus email address. And I, I basically said to her, uh, and she started out the, the email by saying something. I was so hoping to get some nice, happy sermon. And, and I, was so, I was so sad when I stumbled onto yours. Uh, evidently, I just was like the big, you know, wet blanket. Just call me, you know, Scott the wet blanket. You know, I threw on her, I, I, I rained on her little parade or whatever. 
And uh, g- granted, she didn't do one thing at all to refute one shred of anything that I said. All I got was her opinion. What does that mean? All I got was her heart. I got her heart. Her heartfelt opinion. Okay? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then the Bible goes on to say in Proverbs 28, 26, He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. How many times have you ever heard that preached? Proverbs says that exact verse. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Okay? We don't trust in our own heart. We trust in the word of God. Okay? That's the only thing trustworthy, you know, in today's day and age, essentially. So, again, this, this lady was railing. And, and it was ironic because I had already done a teaching on Washington, exposing a lot of the things that she had mentioned. Obviously, it sounded as though she was a black lady coming at me because I was white and evidently thinking that the only reason I'm going after Obama is because I'm a white guy and he's, and he's um, half African American. And that, that's the furthest thing from the truth, okay? Um, so, but again, she just wanted to put me in, in this, um, label me. And, uh, you know, hey, that's her prerogative, that's fine, but uh, she's totally judged the matter before she's heard it which is a folly and a shame, according to Proverbs 18.13. So, again, she judged the matter before she heard it. She um, uh, was totally ill-equipped to refute one shred of anything that I had said about Obama, whatever. All I got was her opinion, which was hard, and the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? And she was, in essence, what she was doing is justifying the wicked. Yeah, I mean the just. Okay? And the Bible says... Whoso judges, uh, uh, judges the wicked and condemneth the just both, or condemneth... Let me, let me get that verse, hold on. Okay, so the verse is, They that justify the wicked and condemneth the just, both are an abomination unto the Lord. So, she was justifying the wicked, Obama, and condemning... Now, granted, I'm not saying I'm Mr. You know, perfect or whatever, but in this regard, I was on the side of truth. Okay, so she was condemning, even if you leave me out of the picture, she was condemning truth. She was condemning just information. And then it says both are an abomination unto God. And yet, she thought that she was doing God's service by emailing me and supposedly taking me to task and rebuking me. And the Bible says, and in other words, well, she did that in the wrong way too, because the Bible says if you see your brother overtaken in an air, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. No, 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 no. No, she just chose to rail right off the bat, make a lot of false assumptions, and <laughs> was justifying the wicked and condemning the just. I mean, I can't tell you how many biblical things she violated just in a one small little paragraph. But that's no big shake for most modern-day Christians, because they've long since abandoned the Bible. I mean, the Bible is not anything that they would possibly live their life by, or adhere to, or memorize. And if they do have one, they've got some perversion. So again, a little leaven leaven at the whole lump, and, and, and her obviously her, her doctrine's been extremely leavened, which I'm not saying it, would, it wouldn't have been above happening to me. I mean, I started out in a, uh, I mean, my word, I went to a Lutheran middle school, Catholic high school, grew up in New Age, I mean, you know, got off into hyper-charismatic Pentecostalism when I first got saved. I mean, I was, I was one of the most deceived people around there. But if the Holy Spirit truly lives inside you, I believe he'll bring you back. I mean, he, he may take you through these things, but it's also to show you, you know, so that ultimately you can help others. So if we go further, um, they're loving, they're running after, um, they will run after the, the Antichrist with adoration and love. We're seeing a lot of that with this Obama thing. We're getting a glimpse or a taste of that. Just as Revelation 13.3 
says, where it says all the world wondered after the beast, uh, most people of the world will think that the Antichrist is a wonderful human being, great world leader, most people will react to his lying signs and wonders and will automatically accept his messianic claims. So, however, two large groups of people will not accept him uh, readily, will be as a messianic figure, he claims to be, for they will be waiting and watching to see if he fulfills Bible prophecy. For this reason, the Illuminati plans for the Messiah to stage a fulfillment of each of these prophecies. Who are these two groups? Well, the biblically educated Jews, I wanted to preface that because they didn't preface that in this article, and the, and the true born-again Bible-believing Christians, and I mean Bible, King James, Bible-believing Christians, okay? They, they're educated. They're as the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they sought these things out in the Bible to see if they were so. And, and that's how we need to be. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is how we should be living our life. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. So the Jews in particular will insist that this newly arisen Masonic Christ produce a lineage which proves his genealogy back to King David. How is a Masonic Christ, meaning free, free Masonic, is how they're referencing him, how is this Masonic Christ arising out of the revived Roman Empire going to produce his lineage back to King David? Now, we're going to be talking more about the revived Roman Empire, you know, these visions in Daniel. We're not going to quite get into that yet, but we will be. Um, for this reason, the Illuminati plans... Uh, okay, hold on, I got ahead of myself here. There is a lie inherent in the Da Vinci Code that becomes very, very important in regard to this Masonically risen Antichrist coming out of the revived Roman Empire via King David. Okay, And this is the lie that is conveyed in the Da Vinci Code. So, the, And not only that, but if you believe the Da Vinci Code, you can just basically throw the Bible out the, out the window, which is a main goal of Satan right now. I mean, he is, he is attacking the Word of God. I mean, I view it as very more of a frontal assault, but a lot of the times, they don't even mention the Bible, but like with a lot of the things that Oprah gets into, or, or a lot of these other people, if you believe what they're saying, even if they don't mention the Bible, you still have to throw the Bible out the window if you believe it, because it's not compatible with it. So, if, if you're into some New Age teaching or methodology that says that, you know, we come back when, you know, via reincarnation and, and, uh, you know, we can attract success to us like via that secret thing that they had. If we just, you know, dwell on the right things and, and you know, if we continue in, you know, New Age practices and these types of things. Even if they don't mention the Bible, it is contradictory to the Bible. And so, again, you have to just stay away from that stuff because it will corrupt you. So, they're saying that the Antichrist cannot arise until significant numbers of people through the world believe the Merovingian bloodline lie, now so powerfully presented by Hollywood. And again, I've done... More than one teacher in the Merovingian. So just key in M-E-R-O, and you'll probably find it in my keyword box. The combination of Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and the movie by the same title is one of the most startling events in a long time, for it is the most effective conditioning tool to expose to people's consciousness a critical lie upon which the Antichrist will absolutely depend. Further, this lie occurs at a time when the events of the day seem to be moving toward more globalism than ever before. At this most critical time in world history, the Da Vinci Code exposed an obscure, occult, secret society lie that has only been written about in New Age-type books. While the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail by an author uh, called Lincoln has sold over one million copies, 
And while TV programs have aired on the same subject, all these former airings absolutely pale into insignificance when compared to the nearly 20 million books of Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Now, Holy Blood, Holy Grail was the first book written where this this whole Merovingian bloodline lie started getting cranked up, okay? And now it's being really perpetuated through a lot of these different um, TV mediums. Since getting these people to believe this lie is so very important to the appearance of Antichrist, let us now examine these lies as told in the Da Vinci Code. Here's a list of the lies that are presented in the Da Vinci Code. Here, and, and again, this is the essence of this Merovingian bloodline lie. That Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had a boy child. After Jesus' crucifixion, Mary fled with her daughter, depending upon the assistance of friends, to the country now known as France. Now, again, does she have a little problem with that first sentence? After he was crucified? Well, he was, you remember, I mean, he died on the cross and he rose again three days later and these types of things. Well, they're saying that he never really died on the cross. That's the whole lie. That's the essence. That's where it starts. Jesus never really died on the cross to pay our sin debt. Well, then we're all going pretty much, you know, we're, we're pretty much done for. Because I know I can't pay my own sin debt. Why? The Bible says, For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So, if I try to get into heaven on my own righteousness, it's as a filthy rag before God, according to Isaiah 64, 6. You know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. What does wages mean? The price. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal, um, is um, through Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? So, again, if, if we look at that, so again, for, with that verse, uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so again, that's the only way we can get to heaven, is through Jesus Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, through the, the blood that he shed on the cross to pay our sin debt, okay? And again, um, all these lies inherent in things like the Da Vinci Code and, and all these other New Age teachings and things that are out there, none of that would confirm what the Bible says in these verses that I just read to you. They're all, they, they would all be in opposition to that. You know, they're, they're basically saying that we're going to become God, just like um, the same lie that um, Serpent told Eve in the Garden of Eden, okay, that you should be as gods. So again, this is, this is the thing that we have to guard against. The Bible says that the thought of foolishness is sin. Okay, so again, if the, just the thought of foolishness is sin, and that qualifies as a sin, and all of sin and comes short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, or the price of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, well, okay, you just have to do the math there and have to understand that uh, this is a very, very important thing, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It is the major thing in regard to, you know, our salvation. So, the lie inherent in the Da Vinci Code is that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, was never crucified, was whisked off the cross with Mary Magdalene, his lover. How blasphemous. And then they had a, a boy child. Well, they're saying there they had a boy child. And then after the crucifixion, Mary fled with her daughter, depending on upon assistance of friends to the country. Now, they got this messed up. I think that they had a girl. They say one thing here, and the, then they go on and they say it's a girl. But Mary fled with her daughter, depending on uh, the assistance of friends to a country now in France. Ultimately, um, they're, now it's going back to their son. 
they can't even get their facts straight when, when describing the Da Vinci, <laughs> the lies within the Merovingian thing. Uh, but it says, ultimately, the son married into French nobility, from whom have sprung the monarchies of Europe, Great Britain, and even Russia. Okay, so, essentially, Jesus was never crucified. This is what they're saying. He was whisked off the cross. Mary Magdalene fled with her child um, to France. Jesus Christ later met up with her there. This is where they had this child. This is where this Merovingian bloodline, they say, started. Now, the Merovingian bloodline, if you look at Bloodlines of the Illuminati, a book written by Fritz Springmeier, and other books written on the Illuminati, the Merovingian bloodline is one of the 13 families of the Illuminati, the, thir- the top 13 families that control the world. They are the particular bloodline that they believe the Antichrist is going to arise through. It is also one of the main bloodlines in regard to the nobility that they mention here. The nobility and monarchies of Europe, Great Britain, and Russia claim to have lineage through this bloodline. That means they actually claim to have lineage through Jesus Christ. Well, if they can prove their lineage to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ can prove his lineage via Luke 3, back to David, or then they can even say, they'll probably say Matthew 1, because they want to do it through Solomon, even though Jesus didn't have an earthly father, think about that. How could, how could Matthew 1 work via Jesus? That wasn't his dad. Joseph was his stepdad. He didn't have an earthly father. His only bloodline was through Mary, but see, they're going to probably ignore all that. Or, or either that or they're going to say, well, Joseph really was his real dad. And, and this whole thing about him, the Heavenly Father, you know, and the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary to, to, um, and her becoming pregnant, that's all a lie. They're, you know, it's probably what they're going to say. I, it's, hard, it's hard to be dogmatic. I'm just theorizing. But, again, uh, to protect and preserve the secret bloodline lineage called the Merovingian bloodline, a secret society called the Priory de Zion was established. Then, when the Antichrist arises, he will be able to demonstrate his uninterrupted Merovingian lineage all the way back to Jesus. Well, again, I don't think he's... I don't even think that's going to be possible if people really start to do their homework because, again, if he tries to go through Solomon, can't be proven. Because, and Now, if Mary was through Solomon, that would be one thing, but that would have disqualified her because of what we talked about last week. And again, that the whole study on that is, last, is done in last week. Um, uh... Jesus could not have had his bloodline through Solomon, through that particular way that Joseph, uh, Joseph's bloodline was given to Matthew 1. It would not biblically make sense. So again, the full studies last week, I have to believe it's part 2. So, according to, in this article they're saying according to Matthew 1, once the Antichrist is plugged into this bloodline, he is home free to King David. Well, and again, not really, because Joseph was not Jesus Christ's earthly it wasn't his bloodline, Dad. Okay, obviously the Father, Heavenly Father in Heaven, via the Holy Spirit was. So again, we, the, he's going to have problems. But what he's going to be depending on is for people to be so biblically ignorant. The Antichrist is going to be depending on he's still, he's depending on you right now to be as ignorant ignorant as possible regarding the Bible, so that he's able to get away with this. And he's going to be able to get away with it. The Bible predicts it, but there's going to be a few. Like hopefully my listeners here and and some other people that have studied this that are not going to be deceived by this, even if he supposedly can produce lineage, um, uh, there's going to be some big problems as you can see. So this will be fulfilled in a most critical, a most critical component of anyone trying to convince people that he is the Jewish Messiah, that he descended directly from the lineage of King David 
and most likely via Solomon. Okay, so again, they will try to he'll try to tap into Matthew one, but that's going to leave him totally separate from Jesus Christ. Jesus's lineage is through Mary via Luke three. So again, that's why I did that study last week because it really plays in to a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about the Antichrist arising. Not only is it a very interesting study, but it was put there for a reason for our education in regard, particularly, I believe, into the end time, so that we're not deceived, okay? So, this most occult society actually exists today and is actively protecting and preserving this critical uh, information. Now, this is the priory design. Now, I, a lot of people say, oh, no, no, it doesn't exist, this or that, or... Or whatever, but I tell you what, this sure seems like there's a lot of evidence that it does exist because this is a conspiracy to get out a lot of disinformation regarding this, and it must be very important to Satan, to the Antichrist, in order to have a critical mass of people deceived so that they will believe this lie. Okay, so it, it is important. Uh, so when reading Dan Brown's book or watching the movie, you need to strap your seatbelts on. Now I'm not saying to read his book or watch his movie. They're saying that in this article, but. They're saying you need to strap your seatbelts on for you shall be exposed to a mixture of truth and error. And again, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. The likes of which you've never seen, you will also be seeing new age and Gnostic religious concepts to which you may have never been known. In our video, Secret Mysteries of, the, of America's Beginnings, we reveal the key Gnostic lies which underpin the Da Vinci Code. And we tie this into the Gnosticism, Knights of Templar, inherent in the National Treasure movie. Now, in the National Treasure movie, one of this new movies by Nicolas Cage, he starred in it. And it was basically, I've never seen anything that glorified the Freemasons like this show. It was totally a movie made to totally glorify the Freemasons. And ultimately, what were they in search of? Solomon's Treasure Okay, so again, all, for the Freemasons, it always boils back to Solomon. Solomon's temple, Solomon's treasure, Solomon's wisdom, Hiram Abiff, all these initiation and rites that they have through the, the 32nd and through the 33rd, whether it's the Scottish or York rite, revolve around Solomon. Okay, And we're going to be taking an in-depth look at Solomon later and how he ties into all this, because, again, I've already started down this road, so I might as well go all the way down. And even though a lot of this, uh, we're going to get way away from Obama, but since we started the study in the Antichrist, we might as well finish it. And, and it's, it's a very interesting study, and there's, there's a lot to, uh, that we can kind of look at here. So at this moment in time, there's probably no more important issue to understand than this Gnostic teaching being promoted in the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code is a slick psychological presentation that purports to present all sides of the subject. But, does so in such a way as to leave the impression with the viewer that the entire concept that Jesus might have been married to Mary Magdalene and produced an heir that is now the bloodline of European and British monarchies, and that this just might be true after all, this slick psychological presentation is, in reality, the outworking of the dialectic process. And they have an article entitled The Six-Step Attitudinal Change Plan. Not read that treatise of this very slick method of silently changing people's minds and attitudes and values without them even being aware of it. You can do so. Uh, their news, it's news article 1055 at cuttingedge.org. You will have to pay uh, a one-year subscription fee if you want to go into these articles that I'm citing here. But there's a lot of good information that you can tap into there. So it's news 1055. And again, that just explains you know how they... 
They change our minds through this six-step plan, this Hegelian dialectic, in order to uh, get us thinking like they want us to think. Okay? And it's, a, it, it, it's been a very, very slow, graduated process over the last hundred years, but they're just about where they want to have us right now, for the most part. So now that we have this philosophic and religious underpinnings of this movie... And the book, let us examine the phenomenon from a completely different perspective. Let us now see how the immense popularity of this movie heralds or parallels the popularity of Antichrist. And he says, I am staggered by the tremendous popularity of the Da Vinci Code movie. And this article was from um, Deadline Hollywood. This is from May 21st, 2006. And it said, the Da Vinci Code is the second biggest opening weekend of all time worldwide. The populist movie would. Uh, Sony Pictures told me exclusively this morning, Da Vinci Code earned $224 million worldwide, making it the second biggest opening weekend all time worldwide. That's pretty, that's a lot of brainwashing going on. Now, not only are, are they making a lot of money, but it's a whole lot of brainwashing going on. So they're, they're, they're getting two things that they're trying to garner money and brainwashing. The only movie that did better was Star Wars 3. The Da Vinci Code figure broke down to 147 million internationally, 77 million domestically. The studio told me the film is number one all-time opening weekend internationally. The very fact that this film did so well in so many places around the globe leads me to conclude that people all around the world are more ready to accept the claims of the Antichrist than ever before. Even citizens of the staunchly pro-Catholic countries are packing theaters to see this movie. The Vatican had come out very strongly against the Da Vinci Code and had even called for the film to be banned. Da Vinci Code was the number one was number one in predominantly Catholic countries, Italy and Spain, and number one and two in every South American territory. Sony exec- executives explained to me that the reason for this huge success is that young people, including teens, are going to see the film worldwide as well as adults. So then it says, meanwhile, reports say that Reverend Robert Schuler of Southern California's Crystal Cathedral and host of the TV Weekly Hour program went to a screening and publicly recommended the Da Vinci Code. Robert Schuler. Yeah. So, again, when you've got this going on, when you've got guys that claim they're, and I'm, I'm not going to call him a pastor or a reverend. The Bible says reverend is holy, is God. Reverend isn't a title a man should, should occupy. I've done a whole teaching on that. Reverend. It's not, it's not a biblical title for a man. Biblical title for God, not for a man. But when you've got this false wolf in sheep's clothing hireling pastor, or whatever you want to call him, Robert Schuler, pastor of Crystal Cathedral, he actually went to a screening. He's publicly recommending this. And it teaches the, the inherent lie that Jesus Christ was never crucified, had children with Mary Magdalene, and this children procreated into this Merovingian bloodline, which is where we get all the British and much of the European monarchies from. And this is the same bloodline that the Antichrist is going to come through. And he's recommending it? <laughs> I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. <sighs> so, then he says, Robert Schuler says, as long as the people talk about the Da Vinci Code, they'll discover the divinity code of who Jesus Christ is. Well, hold on. The movie taught that he wasn't who the Bible says he is. The movie taught that he was never crucified, whisked off the cross, and married Mary Magdalene. Had children. How are they going to discover 
who the divinity of Jesus Christ is. All they're going to do is say he was a liar. Or they're going to say, well, he wasn't a liar, he was a good man, but the Catholic Church or whoever gave us the Bible lied about him in order to, you know, fill their own needs or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it's incomprehensible. Across the world, the movie showed its popularity, popularity fueled by people's spiritual hunger, discover who Jesus Christ truly is. This is evidently another quote from um, uh, Schuller. To discover who Jesus Christ truly is. Well, evidently, see, I don't believe he's deceived. I don't believe those guys at the top of these large ministries are deceived. I believe they're part of the plan. They're pre-positioned and put there on purpose. You don't get to that level. You don't get to Billy Graham's level. I've done a whole teaching on him. You don't get to Robert Schuller's level. Smiley Joe Osteen. Benny Hinn. Unless you're on board. Okay? It doesn't happen that way. So he says that the, one of the, um, this is going to, this is, pe- people are wanting to be fueled, go to this movie, satisfy their spiritual hunger to discover who Jesus Christ truly is. That was a, the end part of that was a direct quote. To actually discover who Jesus Christ truly is. I mean, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And this is what we're, we're talking about here. Actually, one of the main motivations to go see this movie, would be to disprove the Bible and disprove and defraud Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Christian Bible-believing religion is, in their eyes, now totally fake, which is what everybody wants to believe, because the, the, real, the real carrot for them to believe this is then that if that's the case, then no one has to answer to a holy God or go to hell. That's why they want to go and believe stuff like this, like the Da Vinci Code. That's why it's so. That's why people go to such lengths and efforts to try to dis- disprove the Bible, discredit Jesus Christ, come out with all these documentaries and movies and all these books that they write on discrediting the, the Word of God and the Bible because the real motivation for them personally is so that they don't have to answer to Holy God and that means there's no such thing as hell. They can do whatever they want. Nothing is going to happen. No price to pay for nothing. That's the reason, if you really break this down, now, Satan's motivation is to get him into hell. Because he knows he's on his way there. He knows he's on his way to the lake of fire. He wants to take as many people as possible with him. Misery loves company. So, again, I'm going to go ahead and stop there for part one, and we'll go into part two next.